Understanding authority and bowing to authority, whether it's Jesus, the God that we don't see, or it's maybe the boss that we work for on a day-to-day basis, maybe it's our parents in our life, these authority figures that come along in our life, some forever, that we are always a part of our life, and then some for a season in our life. And quite frankly, being under authority is hard. Now, we have no problem with being authority. I have not found very many people have a hard time with being large and in charge, okay? Uh, if you have no problem with being an authority, you join the ranks of most people. Uh, we claim our authority. We claim our autonomy. We, we put our stake in the ground of our rights and our independence and so forth. But being under authority is a challenge, But I'll tell you this, that until we learn to be under, we can never really do well at being over. Until we've learned to say yes to others and yes to someone in authority, then it's going to be really hard for them to say yes to us and us be humble about it in our life. We need to understand that 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 there is a trumping element That even though I have views and I have opinions and I have my ways and I have my will, that there is a trumping element. I'm not talking about President Trump, though he needs to understand that he can be trumped even as well. Uh, Just a little bit of a metaphor here today. So, you know, that that whether you like him or you don't, you got to realize that whether you're a king or uh, or you're the queen of England or you're, you're the president of the United States, that you are not the sole authority, that everyone has authority. Uh, Everyone has authority over them. Just to lay some groundwork for this message today, and we're in Romans 13 if you want to be finding it, but to lay the groundwork, it's just some axioms, if you will, of understanding authority. And I think everyone's going to agree with at least the first couple of these. You may struggle swallowing hard on the last one, but the first one I think you're going to have no, no problem with. God has all authority and power to make the world and to rule the world and to do whatever he wants in the world, okay? He is the designer, the creator, the maker. He did it all. Okay. And so if you make it, you get to own it, right? If you make it, you get to decide how it functions. You, if you make it, then you get to set up the rules and the systems and the, and the cosmos that, that we live in. And, and some people have a, you know, this view that, that, that there isn't a God out there and there's this big bang and it happened. And I want to say the big bang that happened was God speaking in the world coming into existence. It was his voice speaking. And I think that, that it could be substantiated when you come to Psalm 33 verse Verse 9, it says, For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. So it was God's voice, and it was seven days, six days, and boom, boom, boom. That was the banging of, of, of God speaking. And I love it. I love whenever you look at God and you just study just Genesis chapter 1. There is so much in Genesis chapter 1 that we could peel back layers and layers on. But one of those things is that when God does his work, he does it right and he does it well. To the point that at the end of every day, what does he say? It is good. It is good. It is good. God sets for us, in us, in in every believer, he sets for us a work ethic. That we ought to, if you just translate that into your life, that we ought to be able to look back on every day that we live and every day that we punch the clock or every day that we go in and that every day, every day, that we can look back at the end of our day and we can say, you know what? 
What I did was right. It was good. My boss will be pleased. The authority figure in my life will be pleased. I did my best. It is good. And I think that's a very honorable thing. And I'll promise you this. If you live out your work life with the attitude and the perspective that I'm going to do my best on the job, you will forever be loved and cherished. And if you say, I'm going to give my best, do my best on the job, you will be respected. When God does what he does, he looks at it and it was good. And not only did he do it back then, he is still working in this world today. In fact, he's holding, it says in Hebrews chapter one, he's holding the world together by his mere voice. He keeps this universe going. So if we understand authority, we need to understand that God is in authority. He wasn't just in the authority whenever in Genesis chapter one, he's in authority today. He's still keeping this world in its cosmic order and functioning together. Thank the Lord for that. That's one axiom that we need to understand. But God has the right, if you're the authority figure in all of all creation, he has the right when he wants to, to give that authority away, to delegate it out. And that's exactly what he does. He delegates out his authority to humankind. He gives us authority. He gives us, humankind, the authority to function and live on this earth. And we get to work on this earth and we get to do things on this earth and we need to understand our role on this earth. He gave us this authority. You see this in the very beginning of the time. I'm going back to Genesis chapter 1 again. Again, there's so much there that we can unpack. He says, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female. I love this. There's a lot I could say about this and pull back some layers on this. And I'm just going to tease it out today a little bit. But he created them. He created them. Male and female. He created them. God blessed them and he said to them. Now notice he's not talking to one. He's not just talking to the man. He's not just talking to the woman. He's talking to both of them. He says this, be fruitful, increase the number in the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He literally, God is eco-friendly here. He is telling us, I am allowing you to take my big blue marble and play with it. But when you play with my big blue marble, you better take care of my big blue marble. And you need to respect it and you need to tend to it and you need to subdue it and you need to rule over it well. And so is God an environmentalist? I absolutely believe he is. He created this world. He gave it to us to maintain and to take care of. Now, I also got to point out that he gave it to both male and female. I think that's important in God's perfect order. There is not that the male is superior to the female. The female is inferior to the man. I want you to see that there is this equality of value. There is not one more more valuable than the other. And I tell you, in this day and age where we're having problems with understanding and appreciating our, our identity, our gender identity, we're missing the value of God's creative order whenever we try to make one greater than the other or one abuses and takes advantage of the other. And, and there's, this, there's this cosmic disorder and disarray. We need to come back to what God did in the beginning when he made them both valuable and honorable and he made them very distinctive, male and female, in a beautiful way. And we ought not try to mess with what he did in a beautiful way. Can I get an amen on that one? Think about it. And I also say this, that I love it that when God created man and woman, you can read this all in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and he gives into detail again when he's reliving it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 22. When he takes from Adam's rib, 
to make a woman. He didn't take from Adam's foot so that man could step on the woman and hold her down in her place. But neither did he take from Adam's head so that he could be henpecked all his life. He took from the rib. They are of equal value. Yes, they have different roles. Yes, they have different things. There's things that I can, I'll never give birth to a child, thank the Lord. All right, there are certain things that I cannot do and should not do, nor should I attempt to do. But it's a part of God's creative order. And whenever he did this, he put this order in place and he gave us authority over his creation. He said, listen, this is the way I want you to manage it. I want you to lead it well and, and have authority over it. Number two, or number three, this is maybe where some of y'all are going to jump off because you're not going to want to talk about this part. God has not only given us authority, but he has placed us as humanity under authority. It's just a part of his cosmic order. Again, we can say, hey, no, we're all independent creatures out here. No, 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 no. He put us, he created systems, he created offices, he created institutions, he created places and, and people, and he gave positions of authority. Now, can those places of authority be corrupted? Absolutely. Can it be distorted? Absolutely. Can it be all jacked up? Absolutely. But when God created it, he created us not only to have authority, but also to be under authority. And I'm telling you, until you, we've learned to be under authority and live under, under authority, we're never going to be good at being over and in authority. We have to learn to be under before we can be over. And in Titus chapter 3, and this is just a several a smattering of verses in the Scripture, and Paul's writing Titus, he said this, he said, Remind the believers. I love it that he's talking to the believers here because he's saying, Hey, listen, followers of Christ, there ought to be a standard of citizenship that you live at as a follower of Christ. Listen, that the world did not have Christians or followers of Christ, little Christ running around this earth. This world would be a far worse place, I would pray, because we are living at such a higher standard. Not better than, but we're just living at a better standard. Remind the believers to submit to government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good what is right, what is proper. We ought to be the ones who are setting the bar on what this is. Now, he's talking about government, but you can talk about a boss. You can talk about a team. You can talk about a coach. You can talk about a parent, a mother or a father as, a, as an authority figure in your life. You can apply this, and Paul in Romans chapter 13, what we'll be in a moment, is actually applying it largely to the government uh, or to those in geopolitical office, but it is so much more applicable well beyond that. First Peter, Peter even talked about it. First Peter chapter 2, 13, submit yourselves. You do it yourselves. It's not something forced upon you. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or to the supreme authority. So God has all power and all authority. Now, I just want you to tease that one out, okay? I said that in the beginning, and I don't want you to miss that. I don't want to skip over that. God has both power and he has authority. Are those just two synonymous words? Are they, do they mean the same thing, authority and power and power and authority? Think about that. Think about it throughout the rest of the message and look for times in Scripture that we're going to read from because we're going to read from a lot of different passages where it talks about Jesus having power and authority and tease those out in your own mind. And we'll come to it in a little bit. God has given us authority, but more than anything, and what the message is about today is God has placed us all under authority. And we need to understand that. So let's look at Romans chapter 13. Because whether you are a child 
or you are a parent, or you're an employer, or you're an employee, or you are on a team, or, or, you, are, or, or, or you are a citizen of any country, you have authority figures in your life. And sometimes we have a problem with the authority of our life. Now, again, I, can say, I can't say this enough. I'm not going to say it anymore as a disclaimer. There are bad apples that spoil the whole. I get that. But it doesn't make the whole bad, okay? It means there's a bad apple out there. It means there's bad leadership. It means there's bad bosses. It means there's bad civil authorities. There's means there, there can be bad ones out there, but it doesn't mean the whole thing is bad, and we need to appreciate the difference. And sometimes, though, the problem is the bad apple, but sometimes the problem is not them, but the problem is me with them. And we'll blame them for what they're not, but the issue is really me for what I'm not in my own relationship, in the relationship to authority. Verse 1, let's begin there. Let's just start verse 1. Let every person, chapter 13, verse 1, let every person be subject to the government authorities. Now that word governing or government, uh, governing authorities, the word governing there is actually a Greek word that appears several times in the New Testament and it's not always geopolitical. In fact, every time it's mentioned three times in Philippians and never is it referring to a geopolitical power. So it's just anybody who has a governance, has a leadership, has a role of authority, okay? Anybody we want, was it, let every person be subject to governing authorities. Now, you might say, well, but why? Can I be my own boss? Can I do my own thing? Can I be my own? Can I, can I, can I not? Because, he, that's exactly what he says. He says, for, for. For, and that's the Greek word gar, which actually translated means for or because of. You want to know why we need to be subject to governing authorities? Well, he's about to tell us why. And so let's begin reading the rest of the story. Chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, so that every person be subject to a governing authorities for gar because there is no authority except from God and those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Listen, you don't have to worry about it. Only guilty people feel bad about authority coming around. But to the bad, that's exactly what he said there. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? If you haven't done bad, there's nothing to fear. Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant. Literally, God's servant, later, a little bit later on, he's going to say God's minister. Think about the authority figure in your life as being a servant of God, a minister of God. You think, whoa, 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 you don't know who I work for. You don't know my teacher, you don't know my coach, you don't know my parents. Hang on to that. For God's servant is for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God. Again, uses the same phrase. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, it's not used to it so you don't get punitive damages done to you, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Now he's getting personal. For the authorities are ministers of God, 
Next time you get called, pulled over by the blue light special, just say, hey, thank you, minister of God, for that high-speed award you just gave me. <laughs> Attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. You see where he's going with this. There is a level of respect. There's a level of authority. And we don't like that. We like to have kind of our own authority. We like to be authority, but not under authority. We like to have respect, but we don't always like to give respect. God's infinite authority, you got to get this down. God's infinite authority will always trump man's finite autonomy. We might have autonomy over our lives and get to decide what we're going to wear, get to decide what we're going to do, get to decide if we're going to obey the speed limit, get to decide if we're going to show up at work on time, get to decide if we're going to pay our taxes. We can decide that, but there's only a limited amount of that that you'll have before the infinite authority of God will trump you. And you will have to deal with the consequences of that. So I want to talk about three trumps, not Donald J's, but three trumps that God's authority will make on our life. Okay, three trumps as you see from the text here. One is God's superior, superiority trumps humankind's authority. Yes, we have authority, but it is never supersedes the authority of God. I love this phrase. It's really hidden in the middle of the verse, so you don't miss it. Don't blink. You might miss it. In verse 1, when he says this, there is no authority except from God. Even authority itself, whether you, if you are the president of the universe, even that alone is given to you by God. There is no authority apart from God's authority. He is the supreme authority in the world, in the universe, in all coming together. And I think Scripture points to this again and again and again. Whether you're a king or a prince or a president or Congress or, 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 or the Supreme Court or any other authority or CEO or entrepreneur or whatever, Proverbs 21.1 talks about how the king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He can literally stir. If you're having a problem with your supervisor, how much time have you spent talking to God about your supervisor rather than talking to others about your supervisor? Because he can sway hearts. He can calm down. He can move them. He can do all manner of things. Daniel, the prophet, informed the king, Belshazzar, in his arrogant moment of life. He said, God, in whose hand is your breath. He even told him that, listen, God has the every breath that you're breathing in his hand. In whose all your ways and you have not honored, you've not honored God, God has numbered your days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. If God wants to end a kingdom, a power, a superpower, if he wants to take Donald off the throne, if he wants to take the Queen Elizabeth off the throne, if he wants to... He can do whatever he wants to do. And he has the power because his superiority always will trump man's authority. Even when you look in, in Jesus, whenever you get into Jesus' skin for a moment, whenever Jesus was at one of the lowest points of his life. By the way, he was born from Nazareth. What good ever came out of Nazareth, the Bible says. You know, he was born from Nazareth. He's a lowly Jew. He's in this Roman Empire. And now he's been beaten, betrayed by his closest friends. He's been t- sold for a bag of silver coins. And now he's been beaten. He's been put on trial by the Sanhedrin. He's about to die. And he's standing before the most powerful Roman figure in, uh, uh, at that time in Israel, 
not in Rome, all of Rome, but he was the ruler for, uh, if you will, for Rome, and that was Pilate. And Pilate looks at him and says, I could take your life. I could snuff you out in a moment. And what does Jesus say back to him? Not in some arrogant, bold, kind of brash kind of way, but just in a reality check moment. In John chapter 19, verse 11, he said, you have no authority over me at all unless it has been given to you from above. God put Jesus, lowly Jesus, put Pilate in his place, showing him that he is not the ultimate authority, even though he might work for Rome. In Ephesians chapter 1, I'm giving you a lot of verses here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, he just kind of puts it all to rest. If you thought, okay, well, that was under Roman, but what about today? Here it is. He raised Christ from the dead, seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms, far above all rulers, authority, here it is, Power, two different words, what's the meaning? And dominion in every name that is, that is invoked, not only is in this present age, but in the age to come. So we're even talking about it still today. He is the ultimate authority. He is the supreme authority in the, in the world. He's, he's got this authority. Now, here's the thing about God. He delegates out his authority. Okay? He delegates it out. We see that in the Great Commission. When you think about it, what's the Great Commission say? He says, all authority. Jesus said, all authority in Matthew chapter 28. All authority in heaven and earth. That covers pretty much everything, right? All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Then what Jesus does, he turns around and he delegates it out to the church. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching all of them to observe all my commands, all that I've commanded you, and I am with you always. Notice all the alls, all authority, all nations, all that I've taught you, always. I'm, I'm with you always. The, 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 the totality of it all, God is, Jesus is an absolute authority, but what Jesus does is this beautiful thing. When he gives us the authority to take the gospel to the nations is just as we are going to be held accountable for the earth and how we take care of the earth. So we will be accountable for the gospel that has been presented to us. It has been delegated to us. And as, as, as Caleb was talking about our sign here and how, what it represents to all of us. And, and I mentioned last week, and we'll call this the Leah light. We'll call this the David light because those are two people in the very first week when we were kind of bringing this on, we've been praying for an awakening that God awakened himself in them. It was what a beautiful thing to even start this whole conversation and seeing the contrast between dark and light and seeing the difference. And I just talked to Leah between services and she said, our life is so different now. Our marriage is still, we're still working on our marriage, but this time we have Jesus with us and it is different. And that is a testimony of the light coming on and the light impacting. But what happened this week was so cool too. Chris, Lee has been investing in a friend He's about 33 years old. His name is Ryan. And Ryan has lived every imaginable thing that I won't even go into for his own confidentiality. But you, if you can imagine, it's probably been a part of his life. And as we met at Smoothie King on Thursday night for an hour and a half, and he downloaded his story to me. 
And again, I, I, I commend Chris. Less, I'm just there. I'm just catching the fruit as it falls from the tree. Chris was the one who invested in him. Chris was the one who invited him a few weeks ago. Chris is the one who, who was making a difference where he lived, work, learn, and play and invited him to come. And so it was, it's, it's really Chris. I was just there catching the fruit. And as I was sitting there sharing with him and he was sharing with me, I talked about how Jesus can absolutely change his life. And he gave himself to Christ, and his light is now going to be the next light bulb. This is the Ryan light. Would you give Ryan a hand today for trusting Jesus? Every one of these lights represents somebody in our world. 1,738 of them that we know that are far from God. We only have 508 lights. If every one of us brought one person to faith in Christ this year, listen, I say, well, my, 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 back off. I, I don't know that I can do that. You have the authority given to you by God to shine light where you live, work, learn, and play. By all means, carry that authority on out. God delegates his authority to government. He gives it down to the government. That's why whenever we see the laws out there, we need to obey the laws because the laws are put in place not only to keep us from destroying ourselves and society, they're put in place so that we can live better ourselves. Look, look, at, look at this. He even goes right into the heart of the issue. He tells us to be subject in verse 1 to all authority and then skip down to verse 6 because he gets into the nitty-gritty. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Gosh, why can't he just say, just don't drive 55. It'll save lives or something like that. Don't text and drive. Don't beat your wife or something. He goes right to the money. Pay taxes. Jesus did too. He said, listen, you got to give to Caesar what Caesar wants to God's gods. Do it. He affirmed this. Jesus affirmed this very practice of paying taxes as a part of, of submitting to the authority that's in our life. I heard, heard a story of a man who heard a message such, such as this, and he's like, oh, you know, I've been, been avoiding taxes, and I've been kind of skirting around them, and he was just under conviction because he knew what he was doing was a little on, past the edge, not on the edge, but past the edge. And so he thought, I'll just go home and sleep it off, forget the message even happened, and, and he couldn't do it. God's Spirit just kept pressing in on him, and he got up Monday just t- tired because he didn't sleep well. He said, I'll, I'll make it through the day, and he went to bed Tuesday night, didn't sleep any better and got up Wednesday. He's even more tired. Wednesday night comes along. Same thing. He can't sleep because he's under conviction because of what he's tax evasion and all that kind of stuff. So he finally gets up in the middle of the night, starts writing a letter and writes a check for a thousand dollars. Writes a letter to the IRS said, listen, I'm sorry. I've been stealing from you. I've taken from you and I should have paid my taxes and encloses a thousand dollars. And if I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. You know, whatever. Uh, God gives authority for us. Number two, God's authority trumps humankind's autonomy. We like our independence. We don't want it jeopardized. And I love this about the scriptures. It doesn't really tell us that a democracy is the way it's supposed to go. I'm sorry, that may rub some of you wrong, but there's no American agenda in here for democracy, okay? In fact, you see more monarchy than you see democracy. But this is the great thing about scripture, whether it's confederacy or democracy or monarchy or, or, oligarch, or oligarchy or, or whatever it is, a form of government, let it be. But what God doesn't allow is anarchy. 
He, he basically says, listen, I put authority in place, structure in place so that you don't hurt yourself and so that you will recognize that authority is from me. And when you rebel against that authority, it's like rebelling against me. Chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Notice what he said here. Therefore, whoever resists, circle the word resist, the authorities resist, circle the word again, what God has appointed. Jesus said here, or what God said in his word through the inspiration of scripture, he said, if you're going to go contrary to the authorities that I put in your life, you are going contrary to me. Who's the authority in your life that you're running contrary to? And what does that say about your relationship with God? Not just what does it say about your relationship with that person. It could be your parents. Could be your parents. Could be your spouse. Could be any number of things. God's infinite authority trumps man's finite autonomy every time. Now, let me say this because it needs to be said. There's a warning here. This is not saying that if an authority figure in your life asks you to do something that is illegal, that is wrong, that is immoral, that is unethical, that because they're the authority in your life that you should do that. Absolutely, it is not advocating that. You have to read the whole of Scripture. He is not saying that the Herods and the Neros and the Domitians, that they're good people and that, listen, it is, in fact, the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Amins and the and the Saddams. Yes, they are in positions of authority, but we got to understand it in the light of the whole. We might, we respect the position, we respect the office, even if we don't respect the person. And again, I'm splitting hairs here, but let me give you an example of this. If you're in the military and you are a lieutenant, first lieutenant, second lieutenant, whatever, anything below that, and you see a captain coming to you and anything above that, you better do one thing if you're outside, you better salute them. Even if you don't like the person wearing the uniform, with a higher rank than you, you are respecting and you are saluting the rank even if you don't like the person. So there's a level of, even if it's the Hitlers or the Saddams or the whatever out there, we have to respect the office. We may not respect the person. So what do you do in a situation when you have an ungodly leader leading in an ungodly fashion, asking ungodly things? Again, that could be a parent abusing a child. What do you do in that situation? Civil disobedience may be necessary for Christ obedience. What did I say? God's infinite authority always trumps man's finite autonomy. If it comes down to obey God or obey man, obey God or obey man, if it's contrary to his word, you better stick with the book that's stuck through the ages. You better stick with truth and not get off track. Give me some examples. Pharaoh. Pharaoh ordered Hebrew midwives to kill the newborn boys. That would make sense. You're not your child. You're a midwife. Just go in and kill all of the children, all of the boys. The midwives refused. Scripture says they feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. King Nebuchadnezzar issued an edict that the subjects must fall down and worship a golden image. 
what does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? Now you think, who are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? A little kid in nursery school said, is that his shack, my shack, and a bungalow? No, not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to obey. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. Notice that the consequences are not always favorable, but they're still refusing to obey the king and the ruler or whatever because it's contrary to God. King Darius issued a command, an edict for 30 days not to pray to anybody but to him in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, to any God or man. And what does Daniel do? He keeps praying three times a day. So what's the point? Civil disobedience, when it is contrary to, is, is, legit, is legitimate and, ver, and, and, and authorized, if you will, if it is running counter, if culture is running counter to God's obedient way. It is okay for civil disobedience to be there. Now, I say civil. I'm putting that on, on everything. Civil disobedience. And I, and I say that because that's the examples that we see here. Thank God for the Martin Luther Kings. Thank God for the William Wilberforces. Thank God for the Nelson Mandelas of our, our, of our life and our time who have made a difference because they stood up against what was wrong. God's infinite authority trumps man's finite autonomy. I'll give you an example of my own life. In high school, there was an atheist teacher in, in the social sciences classes that um, it was a class that I wanted to take. I knew this person was an atheist, and that was just the way it was. And, and I'm a believer. At 16, 17 years of age, I was, at that point, actively living out my faith uh, as a student in the student body. And uh, she knew that, and I knew her, and she knew me. I signed up for her class. I go to her class, and I sit in her class. Now, the thing is, she wove into her social science all of her atheism. And that was what was taught as the authority. I just politely raised my hand and would counter with different views. And I did it just like that. She never called me out for being disrespectful, never called me out for being, um, being belligerent or rebellious or anything like that. I just simply raised my hand and gave a countering view or what about this or ask a question. And so finally she didn't like that. So she calls the counselor in, in and calls me in and they asked me to leave the class, to, to get out of the class. The counselor was in an awkward situation. He knew this was an awkward situation. And here I am and here she is and she's wanting this. And I'm saying, I want the class. So I go back to the class. She gave me a passing grade, believe it or not, because she wanted me out of her class. I, don't, I guess maybe that was it. But the point was, is I always was respectful. I always stood my ground. I let her state her views. I always operated within her system and her code of conduct. But I would made sure that there was a Christian perspective that was given as well. Now, my point is not to glorify me. My point is this, is that civil disobedience can be an act of witness. And when we do it, and we do it well, and we do it with grace and integrity, and we do it respectfully within the confines of, of, of a respectful way, it can be powerful. When Peter and John were asked not to share Jesus, preach Jesus by Anais, the high priest, and Caiaphas, that they were told not to, they were brought before the Sanhedrin and told not to. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18 to 21, this is what was said. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right or in your sight or of God or to listen to you rather th- than to God. Is it, uh, wh- whether it is right 
in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Here's, here's, here's when, whenever you are ready to stand up for your beliefs, get ready. You may face consequences for that. But who's the ultimate authority? Live with it and live with the consequences thereof. Number three, God's clarity trumps humankind's ambiguity. If we live without laws and structures and systems in place, if we live without authorities in our life, it creates this marsh of ambiguity of what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is proper and what is, what, what, what. It, it leads us into ambiguity. But what Jesus does when he, we listen to him and when we listen to his words and his truth, that brings clarity to the ambiguity. Look at verse five. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath. We don't want the punitive impact of this on the wrongdoer. uh, Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. I like that phrase. Also the sake of conscience. We do what's right for the sake of conscience. The message paraphrases it like this. Because it is the right way to live. We, we don't have to wonder what's right and wrong. We, when we're a child of God, we have the Spirit of God. We have the truth of God. We just have to listen to this. And, and, we, and we, we may hear something from somebody say, you know, I don't think that that's right. I don't think authority can go there. I don't think you can do that. And we listen to that and we get clarity. Philip's translation puts it like this, because it's the right thing to do. Randy Willis brought a good question to our staff, and I've said it before. And it's just whenever you're faced with a decision, just ask what's the right thing to do. And when you have a Christian worldview, when you have a following of Christ, when you have the Spirit of Christ, and when you're in the Word of God, what's the right thing to do? You'll know. Listen to the voice of God. Say, I don't want to do the right thing. I want to do my thing. You're going to get your results of that. You're going to be bucking against the authority of God. A.W. Tozer says it like this, the reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. Living under God's authority is less about us losing control and it's more about giving him control. It's less about us saying, I'm not in charge anymore. And it's more about saying, God, you know what's best. And in Matthew 28, just remember what he said. All authority, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. When we walk under Christ's rule and we live under Christ's leadership and we fall in line with, with the leadership in our life that God has put into our life, even if we don't always like what they say as long as it's not against God's will and God, against God's word, we don't even like it sometimes. We go with it because it's the leadership that God's put in our place. We're walking under His authority. That's a good thing. I mentioned earlier, what's the difference between authority and power? Jesus has both. 
Jesus is both. And whenever I'm, I'm losing control or I'm giving up control of myself, I'm giving it up to the leadership, the authority, and the power of Jesus. The difference between authority and power is very simple. When I have authority, I can have a police officer's uniform on, a badge on, be sworn in, have a blue lights behind me blinking, and I can stand out in the middle of a road of a car traveling 60 miles an hour, and I can put my hand up, and I have the authority to tell that car to stop. But I don't have the power to stop it. It can mow me over, and it can go right on. But Jesus has authority and power. He has the authority to say, hey, this is a good way. Hey, this is a wrong way. Hey, this is the right way. And he has the power to enable us to do it. Would you bow your heads with me? I want you to think about the authority that God has put in your life. It's less about losing control and more about giving Christ control of our life. Is there, is there, are there there people, is there an authority figure in your life that, that you're missing, that, that you're, that you can't stand, that you can't even stand to be in the same room with? As, as the band's going to come back and we're going to sing and we're going to talk about Christ being in control and we're going to talk about Christ being Lord, I ask you, is he the authority in your life? Are you going to walk with him and let him lead and lead well? Father God, you know our hearts. And you know right now, the authority that we're bucking against, the authority that we like and the authority that we don't like. And you've put that authority in place to guide us. And if we don't like where that authority has taken us, Lord, may we pray that you would stir their hearts. You would stir them like you stir and sway and move the heart of a king. May we see the authorities of our life as not our enemies, but as God's ministers in our life. Even if we don't and can't, maybe, respect them, may we respect the position. And then give us wisdom and counsel, Lord, to know how to navigate those two. Lord, we thank you for our leaders. We pray, Lord, today for our president. We pray for him as he talks to North Korea. We pray for our Congress, Lord, as they make laws that shape our nation. We pray for the Supreme Court justices, Lord, as they interpret those laws and reinterpret them in this day. That God, they will realize their finite authority is always trumped by your infinite superiority. And may they, Lord, bow their lives to you. And Lord, we pray that at the highest levels and we pray it in our homes. May every mother and every father and everybody in the authority even in our homes Understand, we must bow our lives 
to you, Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?